listening to First Church Charlotte. That was super fun. All right, everybody taking over. My wife doing theology. It's just, Lord, help us all. I need the theology of some gumbos, what I need. They didn't feel the spirit on that. They don't know what they're talking about. Anyway, praise the Lord, everybody. Week three, out of the dark. Someone said to me that the last two years of COVID has felt like being stuck in a cave. So my sermon that I am repeating uh, Sunday after Sunday is perhaps, yes, that's how it's felt. But it's time to come out of the dark. It's time to come out of the cave. It's time to reconnect. It's time to open your heart. Those of you joining us online, thank you. We've done our, our best to make our online experience as good as we can with our abilities and our budget. But we don't want to make it so good that you stay forever in your pajamas uh, watching the service. We want you to get your pajama hide out of that house and come to the church house and put your hands together and lift your voice. Rejoice with somebody. So that's enough about that. We love you. God bless you. We all of us are challenged to come out of the fear that grips us in seasons and times of our life. If you've lived very long, you know that fear is a part of life. Can I have an agreement from anyone here in the house? Uh, fear is not all bad, but neither is it all good. It is mixed. It is partly, it is a part blessing in some ways and a part cursing in, in other ways. And so I am entitling this today, uh, Surviving a Kingdom of Fear or Thriving in a Kingdom of Love. Surviving a Kingdom of Fear or Thriving in a Kingdom of Love. Uh, this is not as simple a uh, biblical concept as you might would think on, on first review. How many of you love the Word of the Lord? Do you really love the Word of the Lord? As a church, we want to be founded upon the Word of God. Uh, and so I, I, as a Bible student, I often take a concept and uh, I will spend some time with it. And the first thing you have to admit if you spend time with this is that it's, it's not a, as simple as sometimes uh, us modern Christians uh, celebrate it as. For example, if we're not careful, we will, we will take a handful of scriptures that are primarily about not being afraid and we'll say, now see, that's the whole story. On the other hand, we'll take a handful of scriptures that talk about the fear of the Lord and then we'll preach or sing or dance about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't that right, my sister? See? Praise God. Um, we all of us have, we all of us have uh, this spiritual, hear me, this spiritual tension uh, in our understanding of things eternal. Uh, the reason why, and I'll just give you this as a quick thought process, um, the realm of the eternal is so much broader than the, 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 uh, the breadth of our human experience. Uh, the realm of God's nature, his power, uh, the eternal elements of life are so much broader uh, than our human experience. We try to understand eternal anything in the 70-odd years that we're given, do you see? And um, it, it leaves us with this sense of complete opposites. We're so turned around, oftentimes we find ourselves, as it were, making a total circle. And so the best spiritual understanding that can be given to us is to understand that we live in a spiritual knowing, a spiritual tension 
attention that is best represented by things that to our limited human experience seem like spiritual opposites, do you see? And you'll find this not just on fear and love or uh, faith and uh, fear or uh, truth and mercy or you get the idea or judgment and grace. Um, you'll, you'll find it in all of these areas where we live within this spiritual, spiritual tension. And if we have a disposition in our makeup, our nature, our character toward one or the other, uh, if we're not careful, we add our personality to that, um, that, that pole, as it were, as a North Pole and a South Pole. We, we add our personality to that pole, and then we say, this is, this is right. Where the truth is, because of your personality, you kind of have your thumb on the scale. <laughs> and what we have to do is humble ourselves, go to Scripture, and try to rightly divide the Word of the Lord. Can I have amen from all the people who love the Bible? And so I think the most helpful image of this given, into the script, given to us in the Scripture is really at, at, at the very foundation of uh, God's revelation, and that is, of course, uh, in the book of Genesis and the story of the first house that God built for his creation. That is the Garden of Eden. And in this garden, there are, there are two trees. Now, be reminded, there are many trees that God has given. There are many trees God has placed and gifted to Adam and Eve in this garden. But there are two of them that have the weight of spiritual symbol. There are two of them that God highlights to say, this is understanding. Here is understanding found. You can learn about a realm beyond the physical by understanding the boundaries of what these trees represent. God always teaches us in symbol, uh, and it's not just a biblical study. It's in the ministry of Jesus. He taught by parable. It's as though he's given up on you getting the, the, a formula or an algorithm for God, and he tries to give you a story, a narrative, an understanding that you can then turn your heart toward to try to understand. And so this image in Genesis is of two trees. I'll read Genesis 2, verse number 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring every tree. Somebody say every tree. God has given us all kinds of blessings. God has given us all types of giftings. Not all of them are spiritually instructive. There's a lot of thing in your, things in your life that are not spiritually instructive. You have to have a job. You need a career. More education is better than less education. Uh, more money in the bank is better than no money in the bank. It's better to be disciplined. Uh, it's better to be ha You get the idea. All of these things are gifts from the Lord. The Bible says bodily exercise profiteth a little. The point is there is goodness in it, but that is not the lesson of spiritual foundation. So there's all kind of trees in the garden, but there's two that teach us something about a relationship, the nature of God. And so uh, every tree sprung up that is pleasant to the side and good for food. Here's the two trees. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One of them is a path to right relationship with God. The other of them is a way of serving self and competing with God. The difference is a heart of submission. The difference is a heart of submission. 
And so it is that in these two trees, we have a whole story of humanity, as it were, demonstrated for us two ways to approach God. There is a way of death. There is a way of life. There is a way not to do it. There is a way to do it. And these two, as it were, different poles of attraction in our hearts, we find ourselves oriented one and then the other, one and then the other. And uh, we all of us have to live in the tension of fear versus love. We, we are all shown the stories of the Bible, and we see the tension, not one alone, but both fulfilled, where we have a fear of the Lord, thou shalt not. And we have a tree of life where he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you would, you know, incline your heart to receive me, you could open that door and you could let me into your life. And we live in this tension of fear versus love. Now, uh, if you grew up in a certain kind of church or with a certain personality type as a parent or a leader in your life, uh, you probably heard a lot of Old Testament scripture quoted to you and you were given in an act of love because they were trying to give you good things and wanted to bless you, you heard a lot of scriptures quoted about the fear of the Lord. Some of you, I know because I've talked to you, had parents who worried that you would perhaps live a wrong way if you were not appropriately terrified or religiously terrorized and you were given lots of judgment scripture. Now, First of all, don't judge the people who gave you that. Uh, They were trying to bless you. The scripture was right, even if it was not rightfully divided. It's all good, and it's all profitable. Even scriptures like Judas went and hung himself. But it is understood best when it is put together with things it belongs with. So you have this, as it were, heavy burden of fear. You are given law. You are given judgment. You are uh, given, as it were, a sense of dread. Not all bad, but yes, complicated. Not all bad, but yes, complicated. Inversely, not all good, but yes, complicated. Good things in it. And the Old Testament. Testament becomes this, as it were, covenant, this storytelling, this gathering of stories that really emphasizes the fear of the Lord. And we are told it's the beginning of wisdom, and indeed it is. We are told that God is in heaven and you are on earth, so really you ought to hush already, and that is true. We are told that God is mighty and we are frail, and that is true. If I was in an apostolic church, someone would have said amen real loud. See how I did that? I threw that guilt right in there because I wanted you to be reminded of a certain style of you ought to be ashamed of yourself already. Do you see? Uh, now, the reality is if you get over in the New Testament, you start, you start hearing hope and you start hearing, I'm not a servant, I'm not a slave, I don't have to be here, mighty God, I choose to be here, look at me, I've been marked as a love slave, I don't have to do it, I choose to do it. Do you see what's happening? In the New Testament, you start hearing the heart of God saying to you, you are no longer servants, but I have called you friends. 
again. You are no longer stranger, but I have made you my son or daughter. In the New Testament, you start seeing the fulfillment. And so we, each of us live in this uh, kingdom of fear or kingdom of love, but the reality is uh, we can only survive a kingdom of fear. If you're going to spiritually flourish, you have to step into a kingdom of love, and it is in your power to do so. It is in your power as an act of worship to take every fear to God and give it to him as a sign of spiritual surrender. Why in the Old Testament is there such an emphasis and even celebration on the fear of the Lord? And why in the New Testament is there such an emphasis and yes, even celebration of the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts? We were strangers, but we have now been brought into his adopted household. We had no hope. We were sinners, and yet we have been given the covering of the Passover lamb. What happened to change the tone of the Old Testament, you really should be uh, fearful of the Lord, to the tone of the New Testament to as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. What happened to change all that? Well, let me tell you, there have been names that I love to hear, but never has there been a name so dear to this heart of mine as this name divine, this precious, precious name of Jesus. What's the difference between a celebration of God's lionness? Yes, I use that word for your listening pleasure. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. What changed that lion to a lamb of God for sinners slain? You know there is no name in earth or heaven above that we should give such honor and such love. As the blessed name, let us all proclaim that wondrous, glorious name of Jesus. What changed everything from the fact that the holiness of God had to to be shielded from my sin lest I be slain to where the Lord has cleansed the temple and he can inhabit this temple of his grace. What has changed? Well, let me tell you, Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his holy name, and that's the reason why I love him so. Why? Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Someone ought to lift your voice. Someone ought to put your hands together. Someone ought to say, I came here to praise you, Redeemer. Once you perceive the gift of God through Christ Jesus, you understand how we celebrate the fulfillment of a God of justice and judgment in the image of a lamb for sinners slain. And you realize that although you may have been given the gift of the fear of the Lord, you only see him fearfully when you forget how far he has come to show his love for you. And having loved you while you were yet sinners, your heart is moved within you to say, I don't want to just acknowledge him as creator. I want to walk with him as friend. 
I don't want to just fear him as righteous judge. I want to worship him as Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You need to understand the fear of the Lord, but that's not the end of the story. It is the love of the Lord. It is his loving heart toward you that leads you to repentance. And so, as the infinite creator, it's terrifying to think that I would not please him. And the fear of the Lord is right. As the glorious one who spoke in the heavens were formed, it's terrifying to think one day I'm going to stand before him and him weigh my soul in his hand. On the other hand, if that's the only way I can see him, I will have missed the great covenant that has been given to me called a new covenant, a new testament of spiritual hope, which says this to me. I could not go to where he was, so he came to where I am. And so we, all of us, have two ways of approaching God. We can approach him through fear, or we can approach him through love. If you only serve God in fear, everything you do will feel, feel like duty. If you ever learn the love of the Lord, everything you do will feel like worship. I want to lean your inclination toward worship and not duty. Why? Because it is duty and law and rules that let you know you need a Savior. Your rules are not your plan for salvation. Remember, the law was not given to save. The law was given to educate you that you needed a Savior, and a Savior was on his way. If duty is the sum total of your relationship with God, you might be a good religious person, but you are failing at worship because worship is when you take everything you have and you lay it at his feet. It was never good enough for him, but you gave it to him anyway. It was never good enough to get you a seat at the banquet, but you gave it to him anyway. You know that even when you do good, there's a chance that pride was within you, but you give it to him as worship. You know that even when you're on top and you're strong, a trial might be coming next week where you thought you were strong, but you fall in temptation and you realize you are weak. It's not about whether or not your offering was good enough. It's about whether or not you gave it as an act of worship to Almighty God. I want to incline you not toward an environment of fear, even religious fear. I want to incline you toward a spiritual environment of love. Why? Because all a kingdom of fear can ever offer you is duty, but a kingdom of love gives you a place to have spiritual flourishing in your life. It gives you a chance to walk with him, to worship him, to let love be your greatest banner, to let it fly, to see the power of love in your life. So we celebrate grace, not as a rejection of law. We celebrate grace as a fulfillment of law. The law never had a chance to save, but then Jesus kept the law that we could not keep, and he gives to us his righteousness. And because of that great work, I have been forgiven much, and it's natural for me to love much who have been forgiven much. All right. Unto you was born this day in the city of David. Smile at your neighbor and say, you need a savior. 
if you're by your wife or your husband, say, God knows you really need a savior. <laughs> you need, don't the one up here. You're the one getting theology all mixed up, telling God what he did and didn't do. My Lord, what's happened to some humility? You need to just humble yourself, but I'll deal with you later. <laughs> and yet, in spite of understanding, hear me, in spite of understanding, we can get it wrong. Sometimes we're just a bad kid. Um, let me tell you a joke about a bad kid who it was almost Christmas time. He wanted a bike so bad. He started writing out a prayer, and he said, Dear Lord, if I promise to be good for a week, will you give me a bike? But before he got to the end of it, he stopped, balled it up, and threw it away because he knew in his heart of hearts, like Pastor Anthony, that he couldn't be good for a week. He was a bad kid. So he started writing a note, and he says, Lord, if you will give me a bike, I promise I will be good for three days. But before he got in, he balled it up, and he threw it down. He, I don't know if I can be good for three days. I've got, I've got, I've got brothers and sisters. This, this might be asking a lot. So he went in to the living room and he saw the manger scene his mom had set up and he got the got the statue, the little statue of Mary. He took it in his bedroom, he hid it in the closet, and he said, Lord, if you don't give me a bike for Christmas, you're never going to see your mother again. <laughs> so we, we, we know that our, our offerings to God are not to be good enough. It's an act of love, but sometimes we're a bad kid, you know, and sometimes you need to get straightened out. And, and if you will endure chastening from the Lord, then you're a son. A chastening's not going to come as a voice of God. It's going to come from an elder in your life. It's going to come from a leader in your life. Don't get mad at the pastor and then say you endure uh, chastening from the Lord. Thank you very much. Just thought I'd say that to the carnal section over here. Um, I, I, want you to, I want you to see that sometimes we're just a bad kid and we need to be, we need to be uh, straightened out as it were. And so let's try to understand the, the unbeliever and the kingdom of fear in which the unbeliever lives. It makes perfect logical sense if you're an unbeliever to live, to live and to survive in a kingdom of fear. Why? The unbeliever says, I have learned that I am not enough. If you live long enough, you'll be able to say that. If you're still young, don't worry. You have some tears coming. But they'll be good for you. Right. I've learned I am not enough. And what do you do when you have no hope and you say, I'm not enough? Well, you feel, feel fear. Somebody say fear. The unbeliever says, I've learned that I'm not in control. If you think you're in control, you just, you're smoking that drug again. You got to quit. You got to quit that. You got to stop it. You're deceiving yourself. You're not in control. At best, you have influence. You do not have control. Um, and you have, no, as an unbeliever, you have no hope. So what do you do? What do you do when you don't have control and you have no hope? You feel fear. You survive in a kingdom of fear. The unbeliever says, I've learned that I'm not strong. None of us are very strong. I know you think you are. I'm glad you scream when you deadlift at the gym and make people look at you like you're crazy, but none of us are very strong. One car could show you just how weak you really are. You see what I'm saying? What do you do when you realize you're not strong and you have no hope? You feel fear. Why? You're an intelligent person, mostly. You feel fear. The unbeliever says, I've learned that I will die and that death may be painful. Well, no one wants to die painfully. What do you do when you realize that you're going to, you're going to die? And uh, that death may be painful. What do you do? You feel fear. Perfectly logical. Finally, the unbeliever says, I've learned that I cannot escape pain and loss in this life. I've learned I cannot escape pain and loss in this life. Now, if you haven't learned that yet, just, just, just keep showing up for your mornings and uh, you'll learn that. You cannot escape pain and lo loss in your life. So what do you do as an unbeliever? You have no hope. You have no promise. You cannot escape pain and loss. What do you do? You feel fear, and then you learn to cope with the fear. You learn to deal with it. You get managing coping, coping mechanisms. You pretend you're stronger than you really am. 
You pretend your insurance can really fix you. You get the idea. You feel fear. This is how you survive. And you live with that fear. It circles above you on your best days. And it roils within you on your worst days. It's never very far away. It's always there. Then you have kids. And you really discover for the first time the world can really, really hurt you. And you live with that fear. You live with it. You worry. Phone calls from the school always are snatched right up. You've been ignoring the pastor for six months. He's been calling you. Your school call, my God, what's up? My child okay? As you should. Fear reminds us that we are not in control. We are not strong. We will die, and there will be pain. Now, on that encouraging thought, maybe we should just dismiss. (laughs) So this is what it means to cope in a kingdom of fear. You never flourish in a kingdom of fear. You know what you do? You survive in a kingdom of fear. Um, But let me speak to you now, having spoke to you with the language of brutal reality. Let me speak to you the language of faith uh, and contrast this kingdom of fear with a kingdom of love, a kingdom of spiritual uh, faith. Um, And let me remind you that you fight the kingdom of fear by speaking to it. You have to speak to your fears. You fight the kingdom of fear by speaking to it. Um, That's why you should be careful what you say. Because you fight fear in your life by speaking to it. You have the part of your life, you, the things you cannot do, but God can. And then you have the things you can do. So the Bible shows this quite plainly to us. How do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb. That's what only God could do. Yes. And what's our part? The word of your testimony. You speak to fear in your life. Amen. Let's talk about the opposite how the believer lives. Now, the believer has the option of living either in a kingdom of fear or flourishing in a kingdom of love. The difference is going to be what they settle for. That will determine the kingdom they live within. The believer says, watch this, and I just want to make clear before I dive into this, the word of your testimony, it is your word of faith in your life. You do not feel your way out of fear. You speak to fear. You do not emote your way out of fear. You speak. You don't dance your way out of fear, although dancing helps. I've done it. You don't sing your way out of fear, although singing helps. You speak to the fear, and you renounce citizenship in a kingdom of fear. I'm going to show you how to do that. The believer says... The same thing the unbeliever says, but the end thereof is different. Watch this. The king, the the believer says, I have learned that I am not enough. That's the same thing the unbeliever said, but the difference is in the end of the matter because although the believer says, like the unbeliever, I have learned that I am not enough, the believer then speaks to a kingdom of fear and says, but I know who is. What is the result? of speaking to a kingdom of fear and renouncing your citizenship in a kingdom of fear, you say, I know who is enough. And when you say that, instead of feeling fear, you feel hope. The believer says, I have learned that I am not in control. That's the same thing the unbeliever says. But the end of the matter is different for the believer because the end of the matter, the believer says, but I know who is in control. Amen. 
the believer says, I have learned I am not strong, but very fragile. But then he or she says, but I know who is strong, and they feel hope. The believer says, I have learned that I will die, but I also have learned in whom is eternal life, and he or she feels hope. The believer says, I have learned that I cannot escape pain and loss. That's the same thing the unbeliever said, but the end of the matter is different because now the believer says this, although I have learned I cannot escape pain and loss, I know who will be with me until every tear is wiped from my eye. You declare citizenship, my brother. You declare citizenship, my sister. What kingdom are you calling upon when you speak about how you don't know what's going to happen? You wouldn't know even if you thought you knew. You don't know how you're going to pay the rent. You didn't know before you lost your job. You don't know if it's your time to go. You didn't know when it was your time to go before the doctor called you. You need to renounce citizenship in a kingdom of fear and say this, uh, I've never knew much, but I know God is on the throne. I've never been very strong, but my God is strong enough for both of us. I've never been very healthy. I can't meet th- make this heart beat one more day. But let me tell you, God woke me up this morning and he filled me with life. Now, both of these realities you are familiar with because if you've served God in a length of time, you have realized that you are a citizen in both kingdoms and uh, you have to renounce citizenship in a kingdom of fear. And there's this temptation that lies at the door where you don't live in faith, you live in denial. These are not the same things. What's the difference? Denial is, uh, let me say it this way, faith is always birthed by trust, and denial is always a way of pretending you trust. Uh, So let me explain this. So uh, the person who is living in denial is saying this, I'm not in control. I know God is, and so everything's going to work out the way I want it to. Honey, you ain't God. I have learned that I am not enough, but God is enough, so I'm not going to go through loss. I'm not going to go through pain. I'm never going to be sick. I'm just going to have all things perfectly. Uh, You are living in denial. I have learned that I am not strong, but, you know, I will never know weakness because God is with me. Uh, Okay, maybe you're reading a different Bible than I am. I have learned that I will die, but uh, I'm going to live forever by the power of God. Yes, I understand what you're saying. I have learned that I actually, I think I can escape pain and loss because I have God on my side. This is all denial because it's not built on trust. Trust is different than denial. Trust says, I don't want to drink this cup you've placed before me. 
and if there's any other way, I won't do it. But honey, if it's your will, I shouldn't have said honey, I wasn't talking to you. I was some humbling myself to the Lord, and God ain't honey, you ain't honey. The Bible does say I can call you papa, or I can call you daddy, but I'm not calling you honey, unless it is the sweetest honey of all the honeycombs, and then maybe I can act like King David, trying to keep my heart right down here with this bunch you've given me. It's a little bit hard, just so, just so they know what I'm talking about here today. Talking to God, I don't want to go through loss, but let me tell you, I'm going to take my fear to an altar, and I'm going to lift a knife of spiritual surrender, and I'm going to sacrifice my fear on that altar, and that fear is going to bleed out on that altar, and once it's dead, I'm going to say, I still serve you. I still love you. I still submit to you. I don't have to have everything perfect to serve you. I'm not looking for a way to shoplift life. I am here because I choose. So uh, true surrender involves not just the denial of your fear, but the sacrifice, the spiritual offering of your fear. Um, I have had things in my life that I've been afraid of. Um, after cancer, thy doctors told me that I had a very, very solid chance, two-thirds chance of recurrence, and I would have to do chemo again. By that point, I wasn't so much afraid of, 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 of cancer or death. I was afraid of chemo. Um, but you'd have to kind of go through the unique misery of it to understand what I was, I was going through. Um, and I didn't have it as bad as a lot of people have had it. By the time I went through it, there actually were some drugs that could help alleviate somewhat. There's better ones now. Um, but to live with that is a unique way to live. To, to, to every time you wake up and um, you have some little symptom and you notice the symptom to have that fear crush you down. And the, the, the reality is it's always there. It's always waiting. You're surviving a kingdom of fear. What if I wake up and I, I'll never, I wake for me, one of the symptoms was night sweats. And I, I'll never forget, I'll never forget waking up uh, in my father-in-law's house. Uh, we were there for Thanksgiving and I woke up in my father's house. It was uh, within uh, less than a, a, a two years since I had finished chemo, and I'm living with this fear, and I, I wake up, I had a night sweat, and that, I, that was, that was, that was, um, that was, that to me, I was just sure I was going to have to do chemo again, and I, I got up, true story, now, I'm going to tell you all this so y'all can think bad of me, okay? I get up, I think the house is completely empty, I'm in my underwear, because I sleep in my underwear, which you didn't need to know, but you need to understand for this story. <laughs> Okay, I'm in my underwear, it's part of the story, and I go walking down the hall, and I'm, I'm sick to my stomach, I'm sick to my stomach, I'm covered in sweat, I walk down the hall, and I walk into the living room, and I, I'm, I'm in the middle of the house, I'm not appropriately dressed, and uh, the, uh, they had left the fireplace on, and I sit down on the mantel in front of the fireplace, I'm in my drawers, and I just bawl. <laughs> Now, y'all don't do this. Uh, y'all are cool. Y'all are strong. You're not like a fragile person like him. And I sit down on these steps. I'm just like this. I'm out there in my drawers. Try to imagine that. But keep it, keep it PG, okay? All right, so, so I'm sitting here in my drawers. And I'm just sitting like this. And I'm just bawling. I'm just bawling. I'm crying because I'm thinking that's symptomatic. And I have to do chemotherapy again. And I don't want to do chemotherapy. And I'm sitting on the fireplace. And I'm just bawling. Well, I look up. I thought I was alone. And in, in, in Brother Nugent sitting right there in the chair watching me ball in my drawers. There is no dignity in life. 
He's like, my God, I've cried many times, but I've never done it in my drawers. <laughs> I was like, well, you should try it. It's awesome. <laughs> so how do you live with a fear that's always coming back? And you don't act like you don't have them. How many of you will confess you have a fear like that in your life? Always coming back. Always coming back. All right, so what are we going to do with this fear? Let me tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to pretend like it's not fear. Yeah. We're not going to pretend like it's not there knocking on our door. We're not going to pretend like, let me tell you what we're going to do. It is our sacrificial offering. And we're going to take it by its little halter and we're going to lead it to a bloody altar that's covered with smoke. And we're going to build a fire on that ark, that, that altar right there. And you're going to take that fear and you're going to take a knife of sacrifice in your hand. Yes, I'm using Old Testament sacrifice. I know it's bloody. You'll have to just forgive me for this moment. You take that offering of sacrifice to that bloody, smoke-covered, ancient altar, and you take that knife, and you smite that fear with that knife, and you let it bleed out on that altar. And you say, if there's a way for me to avoid this fear that's what I would like but if I go through it this is my offering to you is that too heavy for you come on you take your fear to that altar and you slay it on that altar I don't want to go through it but God if you take me through it it's okay it is well with my soul. <clears throat> to live spiritual confusion is when you say you're a believer, but you don't offer your fears on an altar. You're now spiritually confused. You carry fear like an unbeliever, but you talk religious language. You have created a oxymoron, and I emphasize the moron part because you're living a spiritual moronic existence, where you try to have a foot in both worlds, where I'm going to be a part of the a citizen of the uh, kingdom of fear, and I'm also going to try to be a citizen of the kingdom of faith. That's not how it works. You speak to your fear. You renounce it. You take it to a place of sacrifice. Confess to the Lord you don't want to go through it. Tell the Lord you're afraid of it. And then lift your hands and say, this is my offering to you. Job, why don't you curse God and die? Everything you feared has come upon you. And he says, no, 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 not doing it today. Even if he takes the only thing I have left, which is this beating heart, I will not curse God. I will not judge God. My broken existence, my shattered heart, my streaming tears is an altar I have placed before the Lord. And the smoke of it goes up as true spiritual surrender. I will in no way charge God because he is enough. I was never going to be enough, but he is enough. I was never going to be strong. He is my strength. I was never going to have eternal life unless he gave me eternal life. Take your fear to an altar and offer it up to God. 
Musicians, come. I'm finishing up. I want to say this very seriously. I want you to deeply consider this in your heart, if you will. And I want you to take this into your private devotion this week. And please, uh, make room in your life for private devotion. Uh, uh, If you don't have private devotion, why would you want to live in spiritual poverty? You know, money's not the real wealth. Money is just a way of keeping count. You really, it's like oxygen. You really only notice it if you're not getting it. And I know some of you guys are like, I'm strangling over here. I know, God, God, God. Yeah, yeah. You, your good stewardship and God's good blessing is going to work an answer in your life. Yeah. You see how I didn't put it all on God? I hate when the Bible does that to me, but it's your turn. So I want you to see um, they, uh, scripturally, um, we can live with this confusion in, in our life. Um, and we have to perceive that that surrendering our fears to God is just as much a part of Christian life as going to church. I want you to deeply consider this in your life. I want you to put it in your weekly, your daily devotion this week. Surrendering my fears to God every day as a burnt offering unto the Lord is just as much a part of serving God as singing with Pastor Mellix when he's up here running in circles. Y'all hearing me? I I need you to get this deep, deep. Your fears offered up to God as a burnt sacrifice, as a renunciation, I am not a citizen of the kingdom of fear, is just, a, just as much of being a Christian, if not perhaps more so, than whether or not the preacher preached your favorite theme at church, whether or not the praise band hit the note you wanted or sang the song you wanted, or whether or not your neighbor laid hands on you and you got what you want or you laid hands on them. You understand what I'm saying? I offer this daily offering of all my fears to God. And that is not the denial of my fears. That is the offering of my fears with the acknowledgement that there will be trouble ahead. But I give it to God. There will be pain. We all of us grow weak and we all of us will pass from this veil to an eternal life. The serve the Lord, hear me, is not to escape trouble. It is to order your soul. And so if you come to church and you think you can rebuke trouble in your life, well, first of all, you're obviously not married because try that. You can't rebuke all the trouble in your life. You can't pray enough to remove all the trouble from your life. Serving God is not about dodging trouble, although serving God will help you dodge trouble. It is very much about ordering my soul. God is for me. Therefore, who can be against me? What's the biggest sources of fear in your life? Uh, is it is it death? Are you afraid of death? Um, I don't condescend toward that because it's the most common human fear there is. We all are aware of our limitations. Is fear? Is the fear of death what stalks you? Uh, what about the loss of health? I'm surprised at the people who they 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 they're strong Christians, but they are deeply afraid of getting sick. I got good news and bad news. The good news is you might, the bad news is you might get sick. Let me not get them confused. You might get sick. The good news is it's going to be okay because God's committed to you. Can you offer that fear as a sacrifice to the Lord? Some people are afraid of losing their job. I know I am. Every time one of y'all get mad at me, I don't sleep for two nights. I don't want to lose my job. 
you don't want to lose your job. You know, on stress rankings, losing your job's right up there with divorce. In my case, I'd rather get divorced. That's funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> That's the D word. Never going to happen. <laughs> Homicide's allowed. Divorce is not. <laughs> what is your greatest fear? Can you take it to an altar? Submit it to God and say, even if that comes, it is well with my soul. You are enough. What is your greatest fear? Uh, losing your spouse. Is that your greatest fear? My wife always says that if I die, she's never getting remarried. And I always say, my God, was it that bad? What's your greatest fear? Let me tell you my greatest fear. You ready for this? Losing my kids. We have people right here. I don't, I don't want to embarrass you, my sister. She had, not, she had not committed to God in this church for less than a year, and her son died. Her son died, and I went to the funeral, and I watched her as a, a fairly young believer, if it's okay to say that, trying to get things out. She buried her son within a year, but she's on the front row. You see what I'm saying? What if your greatest fear comes? What if your greatest fear comes? If you wait until it comes to try to make an offering of it, it's not worship, it's survival. But if you make an offering of it right now, one of my greatest fears is, uh, I, I hate to say this, it makes me look bad, but you guys can talk bad about me later. So I, 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 I have a deep fear of ministerial, ministerial irrelevance. To have given your whole life to something and it not matter. And you know what's funny? It's not just me. It's not just me. Every pastor I've ever talked to in their own way has said it a little different. They live with the same fear. That's why COVID was so hard. Because it didn't matter if you wanted to do good. You were stuck at the house, honey. And for a while, you know, it's fun to Netflix and chill, but that lasts for about eight hours, and you're done with that. And you want to get back. You want to, you want my life, and here you are. You're stuck. That's your greatest fear. You know, one day I was, I was down in my workout room, which is also where I pray, and I'm down there, and I'm, and I'm dying with this. I, I feel like, you know... <laughs> I've been crucified for nothing, you know? I mean, uh, uh, my fear of ministerial irrelevance, which admittedly is partly in, wrapped up in my vanity. I'd be a liar if I didn't say that, and you wouldn't have any sense if you didn't think that. So, yes. Finally, God spoke to me and said, if this is as good as it gets, do you still feel like you were honored to be included? I started crying. I dropped down to my knees. I said, dear God, we couldn't even have service. We, we were stuck. I didn't even know if we were going to make payroll. That first month we didn't, but anyway. <laughs> I, I'm on my knees. I say, God, if this is as good as it gets, thank you for including me to help anybody anywhere. 
what are you afraid of? Let me tell you how to exit a kingdom of fear. And I've got to end. I'm good. I'm, I'm preaching long. Forgive me. This is how you're going to exit a kingdom of fear. Are you ready for this? First of all, you're going to speak to this fear. And you're going to say, you do not have authority over me. There is nothing that could come on me that God has not made a way for me to make it through with a testimony. There's no pain that I may go through. There's no loss that I may go through where God has not promised he would be with me. He would comfort me. And so I say to this kingdom of fear, I am not a citizen. I renounce the citizenship in this kingdom of fear. And instead, I take every fear, I take it to an ancient altar. That altar is bloody. That altar is smoky. And I take that fear and I offer it to God and I let it die on that altar. And I say, I don't want to face it. But if I do, thank you for including me in the kingdom of God. I give you all Don't, don't, don't fall into the habit of sobbing your fears with emotion. You'll get into this habit. If you have a good enough service, then you don't feel fear because you have layered your fear with an emotion. That'll work till about Tuesday. And then Tuesday, that fear is going to come back and be like, hey, good to see you. It's me again. Let me tell you a better way. You speak to that fear. You don't emote. It's not about feeling. You don't feel your way out of fear. You identify with the kingdom of God and you say, I have been placed in a kingdom of love. That means there's nothing that can happen to me where the one who loves me can't bring me through it with a testimony. Stand with me all across this house. What's your fear? Is it loss of health, lack of health, sickness? Is it pain? Is it loss of money, loss of career? Is it loss of mobility? Is it loss of independence? What is your fear? Is it to do with your family, to do with your friends, to do with your children? What is your fear? I want to tell you one of the greatest acts of worship in your life is to take the fear to an altar and say, Here, God, I offer this as a burnt offering unto you. And you give it to God. And some of you need to do it here today because you are stuck in a spiritual wilderness of confusion where you're trying to live in a kingdom of love, but you keep having your heart moved by a kingdom of fear. Build an altar. Make a sacrifice. Renounce this kingdom of darkness. Come out of the darkness of fear. Come out of the cave of fear. Take an offering to God. Say, hey, I'm giving this to you. And see if God does Oh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost right here. Uh, some of you guys need to res- you need to respond to this message. I can't make you do it. Ball's in your court. You need to do it. Let me tell you what's going to happen right now. Our worship team is going to lead us deeper. We're going to open this front. I'd like every one of you who acknowledge that I've been preaching to you, I'd like you to step out of that pew, pew or chair you're in. I'd like you to come to the front. I'd like you to make an offering, of offering unto God of your fear. If you want to bring your family, you can all come as a family. We have a good bit of room down here. If you choose to stay where you are, that's fine. Make an offering unto the Lord right where you are. Confess your fears to God. We're coming out of the cave. I said we're coming out of the cave. We're coming out of the cave. If you're, if you need to be dismissed at any time, you can be dismissed. God bless you. We love you. Uh, let's let this whole house turn into a place of worship and praise.
Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.